Well, good morning, I'm Pastor Jeff, and uh, we've been tracing a theme that Kevin just talked about a little bit called Blessed to be a Blessing. And we've been tracing it through the storyline of the Bible, and we've uh, hit certain passages along the way. We noticed right at the beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter one, the first chapter of the Bible, that not only did God create humans on the sixth day, but he created us in his image. Somehow, as humans, we are like God. We're created in his image. And then not only did he create us, he, he just finished creating us, and then he blessed us. And he blessed us by giving us the ability to give and sustain life. And not only are we able to increase and multiply, to give and sustain life, he shared his rule with us. He gave us responsibility to rule over the rest of creation. He wanted through us all of creation to continue to experience his blessing. So God blessed us from the very beginning with dignity, with nobility, with meaning, with purpose. Unfortunately, those first humans and every human ever since except for one has thought God has, was holding out. He, was, he wasn't sharing something and, and they tried to grab onto what they thought would be a better blessing than what he poured out on them. They tried to grab what he said no to and get a better blessing. And yet instead of getting a better blessing, what they got was a curse. And so they were cursed, banished from the garden of blessing. And then they turned on each other. They became jealous of each other. They started killing each other. And wickedness and destruction began to dominate the entire human story. The pattern of mistrust, the people trying to grab and hold on to blessing instead of receiving it from God, uh, instead of trusting him, they chose to trust themselves, that continued. But God did not give up. He pursues us relentlessly and he pours out his grace and his blessing onto us in story after story. So then we stopped at Genesis 12 and he stepped in again and this time with an illogical and improbable couple. This couple was too old to have children, humanly. They, were, they didn't have any children, and God said, I'm gonna bless you. And he promised that he would give them descendants that would increase and multiply and become a nation, and that all of the earth would be blessed through them. They were blessed to be a blessing. Well, unfortunately, Abraham's children and his descendants and the nation that, be, they became, that they became, they failed to trust God's blessing. Again, they've reached out and tried to grab what they thought would be better blessing instead of trusting God's blessing. Yet in spite of this human failure again and again and again, God continues to bless. And we saw this in the story uh, of Joseph, this drama that we did a couple weeks ago. The, the kids came up and, and performed and, and uh, then Pastor Chris came up and he, he, he told us that God could have just blessed Joseph and his family. He could have just saved them because they were the ones that were chosen to be blessed, but he chose to bless through Joseph all the nations that came, all the people that came from around. So again, God wants to bless everyone. Well, years after, the, after Joseph, the book of Exodus tells us that uh, the people of 
Israel had grown to become numerous. The blessing that God had promised to Abraham was coming true. Their descendants were growing, they were becoming a nation. And uh, yet, a new Pharaoh came in to power. A Pharaoh that did not know Joseph, and he looked around and saw this nation developing and thought, oh, this is scary, you know, they, they could take over. So he put them into slavery. And God told Abraham, those who curse you will be cursed. Pharaoh put them into slavery, kind of cursed them, and he was cursed as God defeated him through these 10 plagues that he, he rained on Pharaoh and the Egyptians, and, and God brought the Israelites out of slavery. And then he took them to Mount Sinai. He made another covenant with them where he promised to bless them so that they would be a blessing to all, uh, to everyone, and they promised to obey him. But even if you don't know the story, I'm sure you're seeing the pattern, they failed to obey. They failed to keep their promise. They, they didn't obey, yet God still brought them into the promised land. He still blessed them. Eventually, they asked for a king. And there was, uh, God gave them a king, but even though there were some good kings, King David was the, the highlight. He was called a man after God's own heart. He was the standard through which all other kings that came after were measured. Yet even he failed. And king after king, they neglected God's commands. They forgot God's command, ignored them, rejected them. So God raised up prophets. And these prophets reminded them, you promised to obey. And they reminded them of the commands. And they warned them that if they didn't repent. If they didn't turn from, from their disobedience, from their mistrust, that they would be judged. Well, one of those prophets was Isaiah. He lived in Jerusalem 100 years before Jerusalem was conquered by Babylon. And he told the kings and the corrupt leaders that they would be taken into exile because of their mistrust and their disobedience. He announced God's judgment on, these, on the kings and the people and the nation that was not obeying. Well, the prophecy came true. 100 years later, Jerusalem was conquered and the people were taken into exile, into Babylon. However, Isaiah also announced a message of hope. In spite of Israel not keeping their side of the covenant, they promised to obey in spite of them not keeping that covenant, God had a plan to raise up a new king in the line of David who would be empowered by God's spirit, who would restore Israel and fulfill the mission that he had given to Abraham in the beginning, to be blessed, to be a blessing. Today we're gonna to look at one of those messages of hope in Isaiah. In Isaiah 49, we're gonna look at one through seven, but as we read it, I want you to remember what the Israelites might have been going through as they re read these words. They were likely in exile in Babylon, away from their homeland. Or they may have been allowed to return after 70 years in exile. But either way, they came back to ruins in their homeland, or they're in Babylon, and they're under foreign rule, and they're struggling to trust God. So let's read Isaiah 49, 1 through 7. 
It says, listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing at all. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. And now the Lord says, he who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, to gather Israel to himself, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord. My God has been my strength. He says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, to him who has despised and abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers, kings will see you and stand up, princes will see you and bow down, because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. This is uh, one of four places where Isaiah talks about the servant of the Lord and it's, it's one of four things called the servant songs. In Isaiah 42 through 53, he describes someone called the servant of the Lord who will be set apart, who would suffer yet be exalted, who would restore Israel and bring salvation. But notice in verse three that, that uh, it says, you are my servant Israel in whom I will display my splendor. Another time in Isaiah 41.8, he says, but you, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend, he's describing the nation of Israel. And he calls this servant of the Lord Israel. This is confusing because it seems like he's talking, he calls the nation the servant, and yet it seems like he's talking about a specific person. So who is this servant of the Lord? Is it the nation or is it some, somebody else? It reminds me of a story whose job is it anyway. You may have heard this before. It's a story about four people named everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. There was an important job to be done and everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry about that because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought anybody would do it, could do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what everybody could have. And if you're confused, that's okay. It's a confusing story. It's a confusing story where all the names are messed up and nobody takes responsibility. If you look back at chapter 48, you can see that the nation of Israel did not take responsibility. They were not responsible in their trust and their obedience. They were stubborn and rebellious. And if we look in Isaiah 49, 5 in our passage, we see that the job of the servant of the Lord was to gather Israel back. So, and this Israel was, the nation was corrupt and it was needing help. So the servant that is being spoken of here can't be the nation. So this servant of the Lord is somebody new. Isaiah was announcing something new that God would be doing through this new, new person called the servant of the Lord. In verse one, 
this servant of the Lord speaks in first person. He calls out, listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Islands can also be translated as countries situated on sea coasts, indicating that it was nations across the sea. So this servant's message is far-reaching. It's He leaves nobody out. It's not just meant for a small group of people, but it's meant for everyone. He explains that he was born. He's human, real flesh and blood. He's born, but he was born with a divine appointment. God made his mouth like a sharpened sword and his his person like a polished arrow. Arrows were polished so that they would fly straight and true to their target. Swords were for up-close contact, uh, fighting and so, uh, arrows were meant for a faraway attack, so this, this servant of the Lord was prepared for any challenge. Yet, it wasn't, he wasn't a sword to be brandished. He wasn't an arrow knocked into the bowstring. He was hidden in God's hand and concealed in his quiver, indicating that he was not seeking his own glory and he wasn't trying to accomplish his mission through military conquest. He was humble and obedient and ready for God's work, whatever it was. And it was through his mouth that the work of God would be done as he pierced and probed hearts of those who listened. He was hidden and concealed, yet the second half of verse three says that God would display his splendor through him. And this is interesting because nowhere else in the Old Testament does God say that he would display his splendor through someone else. He always displayed his own splendor. So for him to say that he was gonna display his splendor through this person, this person had to be somebody pretty special. So who is this special servant of the Lord that God names Israel? who calls out to the whole world, who pierces and probes hearts with his words, who's ready for any challenge, who's hidden and concealed yet will display God's splendor. Well, fast forward a little ways through the Bible and a new king is born, not in a palace, not in a golden crib, but in a stable, in a manger, this feeding trough meant for animals. He's a man who pierced hearts and probed hearts through his words, his authoritative teaching. He met every challenge thrown at him by those who opposed him with wisdom and with truth. And in John 17, he prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. Is this the servant of the Lord? who will display God's splendor. Jesus was something brand new. He was fully human. He was born flesh and blood. He was humble yet bold and ready for any challenge. And just as the servant called out, listen to me, God called out about Jesus in Mark 9, 7. God cried out, listen to him. Even verse four connects the servant of the Lord with Jesus. It indicates that the servant's work and efforts were frustrated, like he worked really hard and it all came to naught. While Jesus ministered, his disciples never really truly understood him. They fled at his trial. The religious leaders opposed him. 
His own people cried out for him to be crucified. His efforts seemed to be for naught. Yet Jesus trusted his heavenly Father's plan just as the servant trusted his heavenly Father's plan. And the second part of verse 4 says, What is due me is in the Lord's hand, and the reward is with my God. Verse 7 repeats the theme that although Jesus was despised and abhorred by the nations, kings would see him and stand up as if from their thrones. Princes would see him and bow down because God had chosen him and he is faithful. So God gave this description of the servant of the Lord to Isaiah hundreds of years before his birth. And here's what I really want you to see this morning. Isaiah called this servant of the Lord Israel because this servant of the Lord would do what Israel was meant to do. He would fulfill God's mission for Israel that he was proclaiming, that he had proclaimed to Abraham. Check out verses five and six. It says Jesus would be the one to bring Israel back. He would make a way for this stubborn and rebellious people who had neglected their side of the covenant. They had reached out to try to take blessing instead of receiving the blessing that God wanted to give. They had failed at every point on their side of the covenant. They didn't trust, they didn't obey, they weren't a blessing. Instead of being a blessing, they became a curse because of their mistrust and rebellion. But in every way that the nation of Israel failed, this servant of the Lord succeeded. He trusted his heavenly father. He depended on God's blessing. He didn't seek his own way. He didn't seek his own glory. He obeyed completely. He truly was the only one that could bring Israel back by being a human and accomplishing the human side of the covenant that no human ever did. But there's more. Verse 6 expands what this servant of the Lord would do. It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. It is too small a thing to be everything that Israelites were supposed to be. At every point they fail, he succeeded. That's too small a thing to fulfill the whole human side of the covenant perfectly. Too small a thing. The servant of the Lord was, surely was someone special. It was too small a thing in every temptation to trust, to obey, to be faithful. It was too small a thing because God always has something bigger in mind. And that's only, of the, only the servant of the Lord could fulfill it. And the second half of verse six says, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles. A Gentile was just someone who was not Jewish, not part of the Israel nation. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles so that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. Promise of Abraham, promise to Abraham was that you would be blessed and through you all nations would be blessed. Jesus was the only one that could make that happen. He would be blessed. He would trust God's blessing instead of reaching out and trying to take it on his own terms so that all nations could be blessed, so that every person would have an opportunity to have a relationship with God and experience the full blessing of that relationship. We noted last week Galatians 3, 13, and 14. 
where it says Jesus became a curse for us. Let me read that again. Galatians 3, 13 to 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. I love how the Bible works together. So amazing. Through his death, the servant of the Lord displayed God's splendor, redeemed any Jewish person or Gentile person. There was no longer any barrier of ethnicity, of nationality, of gender. Anyone can accept the gift of Jesus. The servant of the Lord and be saved and enter into relationship with God. One of the things that I really want to drive home in this series on blessed to be a blessing is that we have a God who loves to bless us. He's the perfect father that we all wish we had and none of us have in our earthly fathers. Some of us have had great earthly fathers. Some of us have had terrible earthly fathers. He's the perfect father that we all long for. He's the loving one who, who, he's the loving father who is self-sacrificing for his children. He's the patient father who gives us freedom and keeps pursuing us. He's the protective father who protects us from our own evil desires. He allows us to suffer the consequences of our choices, but he makes a way for us to come back. We could go on and on, but I hope you see that we have a father our God, who loves to bless us, and he longs for us to experience it. Another thing I want you to understand is that we are extremely blessed. However, not necessarily in the way we may think about it. In our Western North American culture, we think of blessing in regards to material things. It's just kind of how we're wired or how we've grown up or how we've, the, people, the people around us think. It's the way that seeps in. We, we, we talk about being so blessed that we have everything that we need. And don't get me wrong, those things aren't bad in themselves, but the real blessing is what we have in Jesus. And there are many people who recognize this, who have way less than we even think we need. If you've ever been on a mission trip, or traveled to a country where people have less materially than we do, you may have met people who know and love Jesus. I've taken people on mission trips to places where people have so little. They live in cardboard boxes with tin roofs or, or tarps and you look inside and, and there's like maybe a mattress and, and, and hardly anything and they're cooking places outside, it's over a fire and you have to, they have to go and get their water somewhere and it's not up to the standards we think they are. The dust that blows in your faces is filled with feces from animals. It's, it's just different conditions than we have here. And you go to worship on Sunday or whenever they meet and you, you feel a joy and a love for Jesus that's almost tangible. And they will cook for us. Things that they would never cook for themselves because it's too costly but they want to share the love of Jesus with us 
and the joy of Jesus is on their faces and they, 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 they recognize the blessing of Jesus because they depend on him every day. This is the kind of blessing we're talking about. The kind of blessing that recognizes the love and joy of Jesus no matter what the circumstances because of the king of the universe has chosen us, loved us, accepted us, and adopted us into his family. So, what's God saying to you this morning? How's he whispering into your ear? I don't know what the invitation for you is. The Holy Spirit works in mysterious ways. It could be something that, didn't even, that I didn't even talk about. Whatever he's saying to you is what your response should be, but maybe your invitation is to pray to this servant of the Lord, to Jesus, the Son of God, God the Son, who loves you enough to become a curse for you, who made the way possible by fulfilling everything that no human can. You can't live up to it. You can't live up to our side of the covenant that God made, but Jesus did. And he offers that standing to you. He offers it to me, to all of us. So maybe your invitation is to receive the blessing. Ask him to forgive you. Give your life to him. Enter into the blessing. Maybe your invitation is to ponder your idea of blessing and ask the Holy Spirit to give you what he means by blessing. What's the difference? Maybe you're missing it. I know that I have been. This has been a challenge to really understand what it means to be blessed. Maybe your invitation is to ask Jesus who he wants you to bless this week and ponder what that means in light of what the blessing really is, this relationship with Jesus. How do you bless others with it? I don't know what the Holy Spirit is saying to you, but I beg you to listen and respond. Let's pray. God, we can't even begin to imagine how amazing and wonderful you are. We get glimpses, we experience pieces of it, but you are so much greater. Just like this, for the servant of the Lord, it was too small a thing. God, how have we made you too small of a thing in our life? Help us to really understand how blessed we are to know you. If we don't know you, help us to be ready to receive you, to receive the blessing you long to pour out on us. And help us to turn to you in the sorrow and the suffering that we all face and in the joy that we rejoice in in every emotion and every circumstance. Help us to turn to you and rejoice that we have a God who loves us, who walks through everything with us, who suffers with us, who rejoices with us. And Lord, help us to be that blessing. Be it because we have it and we experience it, be it because we share it. Blessed to be a blessing. Help us. In your name we pray, amen.